Let's just pray for a moment. God, we worship you this morning because there was a time in each and every one of our lives where we were lost. And without you, we were nothing. Enslaved to this world, enslaved to the powers of this world, but in Christ you have redeemed us, you have set us free, you've made us somebody. We belong to you, we're loved by you, we're purposed by you. This morning we celebrate salvation, even as we see our own stories on display. Help us never to forget how far you've taken us in Christ by faith. Amen. Sure, I mean, that was emotional. Lovely to see those baptisms, eh? Lovely to have all our high schoolers here. Hi, everyone. Good to have you. Thanks for the band. I mean, awesome. I mean, Luke, amazing, right? Well done. Eh? Give him a round of applause. What a lovely way to kick it off. Takes a lot of courage to stand up in front of you lovely people. (laughs) I was going to say you don't look that friendly, but you all look very friendly. It's good to be here. If you haven't met me yet, I'm Don, uh, married to Heidi, who was here earlier, part of the leadership team of the church. Um, if you've been with us, you'd know we've been making our way through the book of James, systematically working through it verse by verse, and we're in our kind of third sub-series uh, where we're looking at the wisdom that James imparts uh, to the church for community life. So the, the sub-series is uh, James's wisdom or true wisdom for community life. And it's been fantastic uh, being in the book of James. I'm trusting that all of us, as we're hearing these messages, are taking God's word to heart. I mean, James earlier encouraged us, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers also. So as we hear God's word being preached, my prayer, our prayer, and I'm sure your prayers is that God's word gets to work in our hearts and that there's transformation happening as we just say yes to God, yes to his word, yes to his truth that, uh, that's coming through the word. And I mean, Luke spoke to us this morning that we're a flock. You know, we're, God is our shepherd. We're a people that he's called together. I mean, that's one of the, the big values that we underline as a church, a biblical value, that as a local church, we are a church family, that we're family. And family is about relationships. It's about living together. It's about being in each other's space. And it's about maturing and growing. I mean, that's what families are all about. It's about families, you know, raising kids, maturing themselves as parents. And that's what it's all about. Now, if there's one thing you can bank on with family or very close relationships, it's conflict. Conflict. Arguments. Differences of opinions, tensions that happen relationally. Uh, I know some of you never fight with your spouse. I cannot relate at all, but good for you guys. But for most of us, that's what close relationships include. Here's a quote from Bono of you too. He says, the hardest thing to do is to stick together. Mates, family, marriage, business, band. It's like resisting gravity. The alternative is too predictable. You rid the room of arguments, you empty your life of the people you need most. 
Now, if we're going to rid our lives of all kind of conflict or disagreement, we're going to rid our worlds of the people we need the most. So part and parcel of being family and having relationships and friendships and colleagues, this is a part of it. So over the next three weeks, we're going to see how James imparts wisdom to handle conflict well. So here we go. It's an important conversation. It's an important teaching. I mean, so much of our lives is dependent on how we handle conflict. I mean, how we handle conflict can radically impact our lives. Where we can hurt people, we can be hurt, we can make decisions, we can carry things on our hearts that radically change the trajectory of our lives. So I'm trusting the next three weeks is empowering, I'm trusting it's challenging, but I'm also trusting it's equipping. For some of us, it's equipping for a conflict that's coming. It's coming. I can guarantee that. For others of us, it's a moment where actually God's speaking to us right now and saying that actually right now there's, there's something I want to get to work out in your life. There's something I need you to move towards. There's something that you need to, to put into practice straight away. And it's so important because if we take this to heart, if we take this teaching to heart, it's going to strengthen us as a family. It's going to strengthen us as a, not only a local church, but as a much bigger church than that, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So let me pray for us before I read the text. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word at work within us. And God, as we come before your word, we want to be humble. We want to take on a posture of, of submission to your truth, of, a, of wanting to align ourselves with your purposes and your plans for us. And so, so as we do that, God, would you work in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go, James 4. You can turn there if you've got your Bible. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture said, says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So just stop for a moment and ask yourself, why is James writing this? I mean, remember, James is writing to Christ followers scattered throughout the known world. So you've got Christians all over the show. And obviously what he's seeing is instead of an atmosphere of peace, there's animosity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead of this warm, humble, generous, and loving environment, what he's seeing is the children of God going at each other. Now, we don't know exactly what the conflict is about, but we can see the outcome. We can see that it must be bad enough that James devotes actually a relatively large portion of a very short letter to this thing of fights and quarrels. So if I was to just summarize, what's the big idea or the big slice of wisdom that I think James wants us us to walk away today in kind of part one, it's this. Our outward conflicts and quarrels with each other come from our wayward hearts. So I think what James wants to 
wants to teach us today. They come from our wayward hearts. So we're going to explore the, the problem of fights and quarrels. We're going to see three causes of the problem. And then I'm going to land with the help that James says is available to us as Christ followers. So, so here we go. Number one, what is causing fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, he writes. I mean, this is an important question, but it's also a deeply searching question. Where is this fighting and quarreling come from? Now, you've got to understand what he's talking about here when he speaks about fighting and quarreling. This is actually very strong and vivid language. These same words translated fights and quarrels would be the same words used for physical conflict, physical combat, or war, or battles. There's an intensity and an impact to these conflicts, these disagreements, these quarrels that are causing harm and damage, something like what you would see in a physical battle. You know, people taking shots at each other, bombs going off here and there that are hurting people, damaging each other. There's winners and losers. You know, there's victims. There's victors. I don't know what you think about when I speak about fights and quarrels. I I don't think we should only think of, you know, like open arguments or, you know, two Christ followers standing up and screaming at each other. I mean, you don't see that every day. Let's not just think about that. I mean, these conflicts can find expression in different ways. How about how we talk about someone? How we treat someone? Maybe we avoid them or we give them the cold shoulder. You know, our conflict, you know, we can get passive or or aggressive. It could be the destructive nature of the words or the way we interact with someone when we disagree with them about something. There's a difference of opinion or a difference around some topic. The the way we speak and our attitude that we carry. It could even be how we carry each other in our hearts. This conflict, these quarrels can can be how we carry each other in our hearts, what we think about each other, what we long for each other. I was walking in the forest the other day with, with someone from our church. We were speaking about the intensity of conversations around COVID. Not so much anymore, but certainly in the, in the, near, in the very near past. You know, whether it's reg- regulations of uh, COVID or the vaccine. I mean, these are things we must talk about, and we're not all going to agree on these things. But it's been interesting to see the nature and the temperature that these conversations can very quickly get to. We often end up polarized, like I'm on this end, or you're on that end, or you're there and I'm here, like we've got these different camps all of a sudden. Um, You know, we can write people off, we can stick them in a box, you know, we can accuse them of different things. It's interesting, we were saying, it's, it's amazing how in a conversation like this that we can be so invested in, actually our opinions about a vaccine can be more important to us than what the Christ tells us about our relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That actually this thing can be, become more important than that in the heat of a moment. I mean, these conversations can leave us emotionally charged, but not in a good way. And it impacts us. So where is this coming from, says James? Well, he wants you to know that it's not from your circumstances. It's not mostly about theological disagreements or societal impacting opinions or political ideologies or those that might be the topics that we're talking about at the time. The heart of the conflict isn't out there in someone or something or, you know, that thing. No, no, the heart of the problem is right here. It's our own hearts. It's your hearts, my hearts. James is saying that there are desires battling within us that cause disagreements or, 
you know, differing conversations or opinions to become so damaging for our relationships. We've got here a, a strong start from James. I mean, really what he's calling us to as Christ followers is reflection. He's actually, I guess good language would be he's, he's disarming us. So you actually look within your heart, ask yourself, you know, what's happening within you that might be causing or elevating or escalating a situation or a circumstance? How often do you, in, in conflict or when things get a bit hectic or you start to rub or there's a difference, how often do you stop and just say, hey, what's happening in me right now that's, that, that's maybe at play here? It's hard. We don't often see our, ourselves, you know, and what's happening in us as, as maybe playing a role in what's happening. But according to the Bible, it's a good place to start. So three things that, that cause, James is saying, it's our wayward hearts that can be at the heart of these hostilities. So the first thing James mentioned here is, is, is we can have wayward desires in our hearts. You desire but do not have, so you kill, you covet, you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight, you don't have because you do not ask God. So these desires that James talking about, these desires in our hearts, they are like our deep longings for something. It's, it's a longing for something that's grown so strong in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds that actually we, we're willing to do more and more and more to make sure we meet that desire or that that longing gets fulfilled or that thirst gets quenched. You know, if we have to go through people and go through relationships and cause a bit of damage here and there to make sure that this thing is met, then so be it. It's worth it, we tell ourselves. By the way, these can even be good things. Good desires that have just grown so strong within us that actually we've got to the point that we're, we're happy for there to be collateral damage as long as we get what we feel like we really need. And I like the language of wayward. It's just like we wake up one morning and we think, hey, I'm going to, this thing has become so important to me today that I'm willing to do whatever it takes. No, no, these things can happen in our hearts subtly. That can happen over a period of time. We cannot even be aware that, that sometimes desires are growing within us that are actually becoming more in, influential in our behavior and our thinking and our relationships than what we believe. One of the commentaries uh, says it like this. It says, all our desires and passions are like an armed camp within us, ready at a moment's notice to declare war against anyone who stands in the way of some personal gratification on which we have set our hearts. It's like without us knowing it, we can slowly, our lives kind of curve in on ourselves as we, as we think about how do I meet this desire within me. Now, a lot of examples of what those desires could be. I mean, it could be a sense of deserving comfort or rest. We tell ourselves that actually, I deserve rest. This is so important to me that no one's going to get in the way of me wanting this. Maybe it's acceptance. Maybe we're telling ourselves in our friendships, actually, I, I, I need to be accepted. This is so important to me. If anyone gets in the way of my acceptance, I'm going to take them out. Or I'm going to ridicule them. Or I'm going to get back at them. Or I'm going to shame them. It could be a desire for approval, success, power. They're these desires that are growing within us that become more impactful than maybe we realized. Some vulnerability from me. Don't be surprised, but Heidi and I sometimes have conflict. I know, shocking, shocking. But there's times when Heidi feels like I don't carry my weight around the house. You know, whether it's practically or emotionally, I mean, obviously from my perspective, it's ridiculous, being unfounded. 
But is it? Is it really? I was chatting to a friend, and I, I came to recognize that there's, a, there's actually a wayward desire operating in my heart that's impacting my marriage. Now, I've told myself that, that I deserve rest. Actually, I need rest. That actually, I've got a right to rest. I mean, I work hard. My, my work is often quite emotional, and it's, it's, you know, there's always lots of dynamics at play. And when you're dealing with the church and spirituality, it always feels like the stakes are, are high. And so you kind of, and then when I get home, I don't want to deal with emotions, and I don't want to make decisions. And so I tell myself, I don't need to do this stuff. You know, my workday's ended. I just need me time. I need to recover. I'm thinking about myself first. I'm not thinking about, hey, what did Jesus say about how to love my wife like he loves the church, to seek the flourishing of my wife and my kids. I'm actually thinking more like I'm happy for everyone to sacrifice for me. (laughs) But hey, guys, we've all got our own things, but maybe sometimes we let ourselves off the hook a little too easily around the house. And here's the thing about these wayward desires, that they, they impact horizontally and vertically. So horizontally, I mean, here James speaks about murder. He speaks about murder or wanting something so much that you're willing to kill to get it. Now, I don't think there's a lot of people going around killing each other, um, we hope. But what's he speaking about here? Well, remember Jesus is teaching about murder in Matthew Matthew 5. It says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to to judgment. The trajectory of these wayward desires, its conflict, if not unchecked, it can lead to hate. And if unchecked, that's what leads to murder. These habits and these actions that we adopt in our relationship with people can become so severe that they really start to hurt and destroy and damage people around us. But then there's coveting. You know, these wayward desires can bring a discontentedness into our lives. Actually, we, we don't have enough, and we're not enough, and we start to look around, and we, we start to think, oh, I need their relationships, or I wish I had that career, or, you know, I wish I had those possessions. And so we, we've got this discontent that can come down on our lives, that, that can cause relational tension and, and quarreling and fighting. But not only horizontally, also vertically. This can impact our relationship with God, these wayward desires. I mean, he speaks a lot about prayer as an example of how this impacts our relationship with God. We're going to see that we can experience unanswered prayer, but that's if we pray at all. He says, you have not because you ask not. I mean, the guys aren't even going to God in prayer. I wonder why. I don't know for sure. Maybe they think that, you know, I know that God doesn't really want this for me or, you know, so... I can't really take it to God in prayer, so I'm just going to hide it away, compartmentalize, and not pray about that, because I'm not going to like where that's going to go. Or maybe on the other hand, this desires have become so strong that we can't be bothered to ask God. We just, I'm committed to making this happen for myself. I mean, why? I don't need God's help. This is happening. I've decided. So for whatever reason, we can, we can even stop to pray in our relationships because of these desires. So let's keep reading. James, uh, we're going to look at wayward motives, a second way that our, our hearts can go wayward. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you spend, uh, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So as our lives curve in on each other through these desires, 
You know, our motives can become skewed. So think about prayer again. I mean, he mentions prayer. That, we, that they're not answered because we want to we use what we get on our own pleasures. I've just finished reading Tim Keller's book on prayer. I think I've told you before, fantastic read, surprised me, very uh, lovely book. But he summarizes in the book how Augustine approached prayer, one of the, the great theologians. And uh, he speaks about before he goes to pray, he has to examine his motives. As a part of his everyday approach to God, he writes that he says, we must see that our heart's desires are disordered. He says, if you don't start by recognizing that this can happen, it's not helpful. Third or fourth loves have become first in our hearts. Unless we see this, our prayers will be part of the problem, not an agent of healing. Example, if we look at our financial prosperity as our main source of safety and confidence in life, when, then when our wealth is in grave jeopardy, we will cry out to God for help, but our prayers will be little more than worrying in God's direction. When our prayers are finished, we will be more upset and anxious than ever before. See, our behavior exposes our motives. If we're coming into a situation or a conversation or a relationship with the idea to meet our own needs, that's our motive is to meet our own needs. Are you guys with me? Just closing. I think there's a reflection, obviously, that the blinds are less than fully effective. I can see But if we're coming into a space to meet our own needs, we're going to act accordingly. We're going to say what we need to do, do what we need to do, manipulate a situation if we need to manipulate a situation so we get the outcome that we want. If we're walking into a space, into a friendship or into a relationship, into whatever it is, and our desire is to see other people edified and lifted up and encouraged, we're going to act completely differently in that situation. Our motives really matter. And James is just telling us to keep an eye on our motives. Now, here's a, another example. We can tell a joke about someone, you know, whether they're there or not, and you know, it's all in good humor. But actually, if we're honest, it's so good to take them down a peg, you know, watch them squirm a little bit as we make this innocent joke at their expense, and we feel a little bit better about ourselves, like maybe you know, we're more accepted now, but actually it's at their expense. No, it's, it's no good, says James. This kind of warfare, this kind of battling that we're waging, it's not good for us, it's not good for them, it's not good for the community. It's hurting our relationships and our witness. As a church, remember John 13, it says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our relationships are so key. So finally, Another way our hearts can go wayward is through wayward affections. James 4 verse 4, it says, you adulterous people. So jarring in our culture, but James doesn't have a problem offending people. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us? So according to To James, some of the conflicts and quarrels and tensions and relational scratchiness we get into is actually because we've started to to fall more in love with the temporary things of this world than with God. We've started to, to grow affection for the things of this world more than our affection for God. 
when James speaks about the world, you know, friendship with the world, what's he speaking about? Well, he's speaking about the idea of living as if this present world is all that there is. Actually, it's a world that doesn't recognize or take into account God in any way. Like life is self-sustained without God, neither recognizing nor regarding Him. He's saying that we can develop wayward affections when we become over-familiar or overly warm or overly close to this world that actually is, is opposed to our relationship with God, that is actually opposed to the truths of God. When we get closer and closer to the world, it's, it's like we're drawing closer and closer to, to, to God's enemy and to, to, to a world that's set up to combat and resist our own relationship with God. Friendship with this world is adopting the world's values. It's wants that are no good for us. It's like if you think about your, the, your covenant relationship with God as a Christ follower, and marriage is a picture of that covenant. It's like in your marriage, starting to make really, really good friends you know, with the neighbor. It's, it's just... It's just not right. And then it's totally normal, if you think about it like that, to, to speak about jealousy, the jealousy of God. Here's an observation I made uh, that I knew, but I had kind of forgotten about it. And I think it's good for us to remember as Christ followers that we don't live in a neutral world. I mean, you know that. <laughs> that when we fall in love with the things of this world, it's not neutral. It's damaging to our relationship with God, that the values of this world are not aligned. I mean, sometimes, not all of the world is, but, but most of the time, the world is not neutral. We are either being discipled by the world and letting the world uh, dictate who we're becoming, or we're allowing God to shape and form us into the people that we're becoming. And we need to be consciously aware of that, and we need to be exposing ourselves to, to God and His Word through prayer and the indwelling of the Spirit. And actually, James makes a very intriguing argument here. He's saying sometimes when we quarrel or fight or there's scratchiness or, you know, it's not just bad behavior. It's not just a moment of madness, you know. It's not just an in-the-heat-of-the-moment thing that we got upset with someone. Actually, what he's saying is that it can go much deeper than that, that actually what you could be seeing here is an issue of devotion, that actually there's a worship issue at play in our hearts, that we've started to worship something else other than God. And when that conflict or that argument arises, actually what we're seeing is an overflow of distorted worship. Oh, as Christ followers, we want to move towards that, don't we? So again, he speaks about jealousy in this covenant relationship with God. By the way, verse 5 is is one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to translate because actually there's no reference to a particular verse, Old Testament verse there, but whichever way you land on that translation, the meaning is the same, that God desires our first love. God desires our first love, not because He needs it, but because He knows we need it. He knows that we are created and designed to love God first and foremost. And when we put God first in our lives, we're going to experience life to the full. We're going to experience a joy. It goes beyond happiness. We're not always going to experience happiness. We're going to experience a deep joy and fulfillment that can't be found 
anywhere else. And so God jealously, jealously longs for our affection. I hope you can see that obviously this is going way beyond like some tips and tricks for conflict resolution, you know, in the workspace. He's going for the jugular here. He's going straight for the heart. Yeah, it impacts all of our relationships, but particularly amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we've looked at how our conflicts and quarrels result from drifting wayward hearts. So guys, don't be too quick to point fingers here and there, but actually examine yourself. Look at your own heart. Take a moment to reflect. Are there wayward desires that have grown unchecked? Is something actually motivating my action that I haven't maybe been aware of or I have been aware of, but I didn't realize how much it was actually getting between my friends or my family or my parents or my kids? Are there wayward motives and affections at the source of some of this conflict? Okay, thank goodness the message doesn't end there. There's verse six. This is the help we need, the humble path of grace. It says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture said, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Luckily, the conflict and quarreling is not how the story ends. We have more grace. So what, what is this? I mean, the grace for us from God is to find forgiveness. We can find forgiveness in our relationship to him, you know, if there's an issue of devotion, if there's another desire that's grown, I mean, God's there, he, he forgives us. Christ died for these very things. And, and in our relationships with others, we can find forgiveness. That actually, if we've, if we've been really bad to someone, we, or we've acted harshly, there's, you know, God deals with our guilt and our shame, that we can find forgiveness. But what's the more grace? The more grace, this is the empowering work of God in our lives that's at work transforming us. That as Christ follows, the grace of God is at work in your heart, transforming you. I've heard this empowering grace of God described as God's helpfulness towards you. But actually, the God is at work that you're experiencing as a Christ follower. You have the helpfulness of God at work in your heart. That's the convicting work of the Spirit. That's the Spirit helping us resist the, the values and the passions and the desires that this world pulls us towards, that actually God's Spirit is at work helping us resist these kind of things. And what a joy when we go with God's Spirit and His grace on those things. You know, God's amazing in that He doesn't just demand your allegiance. He calls for your devotion, but He empowers you at the same time to give Him that devotion. Amazing. What a good God we serve. You know, as, as Christ followers, we don't come to our relationships with all these deficits unfulfilled, with all these needs that need to be met, and so we scramble and we scrap and we do whatever it takes. No, no, as, as children of God, we come to God with our greatest needs fulfilled, our greatest desires met in Christ and in relationship with Him. And so when we engage with other people, we're coming with an overflow of met desires through the grace and the love of God that we can be secure, accepted, loved, at peace, and that impacts our relationships. But here's the thing. If we're gonna receive this grace of God, we're gonna need to be humble. Humility, it's not thinking 
less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. But actually, as Christ followers, this humility that we're going to need to find is to think more of God, to value God, to, to increase our worship, the worth that we give to God and other people. We've got to think more of other people. We've got to understand that they're created in His likeness and in His image and are worthy of His love and our acceptance and our joy and, and dignity and all those things. Let me start to close with some thoughts on next steps as a suitable response for us. How do we respond? Well, here's the thing. James doesn't leave on the table the option to do nothing. <laughs> That's off the table. He says, your one choice, you can choose to be proud and in a sense kind of double down on what's happening in your heart and kind of just hold your line. In which case, in your life, you're going to experience some kind of opposition or resistance in your relationship with God, that there's that this pride, it does something to our relationship with God, which just <clears throat> brings about some kind of resistance. Alternatively, your only other choice is to move humbly onward. We can access the favor of God, the, the grace of God, that will renew our hearts and renew our relationship with others, that will give us the courage, you know, this more grace. It's not only finding forgiveness from God, but it's getting the empowering to also forgive to forgive those that have hurt us. We're going to need to find the grace, the humility to come and say, God, maybe there's something in me here. And to do that work and say, okay, God, maybe I need your empowering and your boldness to go. I've heard a few stories after the message of people, messaging people right after the meeting saying, hey, let's hang out. You know, let's grab a coffee. And one of them was saying, it's amazing, last week it was conflict he had with someone and they met up and they had a coffee. He says, the, the freedom, the, the kind of freedom and the joy that came upon this person's life when they, they had that conversation was just simply incredible. It's, it's like God just draws near to the humble and those who are just saying yes to him. So maybe the band, can, you can make your way up so long. Maybe a good place for us to start if I could suggest one space in our relationships is prayer. I mean, James mentions prayer a lot. How about freshly taking our, our disagreements, our quarrels, our fights, our frictions, our conflicts, our quarrels, our strained relationships, let's take them to God in prayer and in a sense process them in prayer. It's amazing how when you take something or someone or a circumstance to God in prayer, how your perspective starts to shift and change in the light of God's love, in the light of what He's doing in your own heart. That's a good place to, spot, to start because we're going to find all the grace we need to deal with what's happening in our hearts, to deal with any guilt and shame, to deal with any anger and resentment and desire for revenge. It's only in His presence and through His empowering grace we're going to get the help that we need. Amen. May it be so. Why don't you stand? I want to pray and we're going to, we're going to sing. Father God, we again thank You for the power of Your Word that is able to transform our lives because it's an opportunity for us just to align with you. Say, God, we want what you want for us. And 
God, this, this conflict, it, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes courage, boldness, humility. We need more of that in our lives. So we just invite your spirit. We invite you to be at work in our hearts and minds. We pray for reconciliation. We pray for a smoothing out of relationships. We pray that we would truly learn to love each other. It's not an absence of all conflict, but it's dealing with conflict well. And it starts in our own hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name. So my encouragement to you as we sing this final song is, is one, you feel free to sing along. And uh, another option is for you to just take a moment to, to just pray right now. God may have spoken to you about some stuff, might have had thoughts going on. This is your opportunity to just stop and say, hey, let me do some business with God in these couple of moments. And of course, you've got to carry that on. But as we sing, let's do one of those two things. Thanks, guys.